0: Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. Welcome back to another episode of The Lucrative Society. I am here today with my friend, Katie Schultz. I am super excited to introduce you to her because Katie and I go way back to grad school. We were at Pacific University together, studying writing. And Katie, I'm just delighted to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Super excited to get into this topic because it is one of a passion that you and I share, which is writing. To uh, allow our listeners to get to know you a little bit, would you be able to just talk about what led you to writing, why you decided to pursue it as a profession as opposed to just a hobby?
1: I don't think I had a choice. (laughs) Mm, I love that. I had experimented with being a middle school teacher and Montessori certification and a little bit of teaching in the public schools through AmeriCorps, enough to know that um it was something I could do and that I did enjoy, but also to very quickly learn it was something I would exhaust myself at for like the entirety of a career if I didn't <laughs> make some changes. So in the backdrop of all of those, you know, five or six years as a teacher. The writing was always there, and I initially went in to study creative nonfiction, having been doing freelancing and stuff like that too. And then ended up, you know, now I'm just most people don't even know that I <laughs> my degree is in creative nonfiction because I'm a short story writer and novelist. So the passion was always there, the urge to um, put things down in words was always there, and really before sentences are even formed, this, this sort of need to make sense of the world through narrative um, it's just part of who I am and how I move through the world. So it felt pretty natural.
0: Yeah, I totally get that. You, I, I believe, were my buddy mentor in the nonfiction Because there really wasn't that many of us. There were all these fiction people, all these poetry people. And then there was like this tiny little group of nonfiction. And so we had a lot of of good conversations in that. Can you talk a little bit about your books that you've published so far?
1: Sure. Um, My first book is called Flashes of War. It's a collection of short stories and flash fiction that came out in 2013. And then my novel, Still Come Home, came out in the fall of 2019 and they're
0: both published by Loyola University, Maryland. I love that, congrats on those. One of the things that I reached out to you for regarding this podcast was, I feel like you have developed really just a lifestyle that I wanna dig into because when I talk about wealth on this show, I'm not just talking about money. Of course, that is one of the components to it. But realistically, it's more about this fulfilling lifestyle. And from what I've seen of you online, not only are you living and working in your passion, but you also have a lot of just life going on that I've loved watching over the years. Can you talk about what wealth means to you? What is your definition of wealth?
1: Thank you for seeing that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that you're able to see that whole self, um, despite the filters and fog of social media, which I always try to be authentic on when I do choose to use them. To me, wealth is, I mean, first of all, the fact that we can have this conversation and pose this question posits a position of wealth and privilege. We have food, water, and shelter far beyond our basic daily needs for survival. We live in a relatively Peaceful nation, in quotes. (laughs) So, above and beyond that, to me, wealth is really having freedom of choice and being able to live from a mindset of abundance consciousness rather than scarcity consciousness.
0: Yeah, so let's dig into that. And I don't know if I told you this already, but one of the key reasons that I was like, I want Katie Schultz on my show is that I after grad school, was all about that scarcity mindset. (laughs) Mm -hmm. After grad school, I ended up in bankruptcy court, I had my home foreclosed, Mm -hmm. I was evicted from my apartment, and my whole worldview was like this starving artist mentality. And I know a lot of writers, lots of art, whatever, you know, format your art is, have that sense. So can you talk a little bit about, because I feel like you either didn't have that or don't have that or like how did you navigate around that while still making writing you know your passion still the full thing that you're doing
1: yeah that's interesting i definitely was aware of that stereotype and i think the fact that it existed just um fueled me to just completely prove it wrong
0: oh see i love that
1: We, um, I mean, we graduated, as you know, I think like one year behind the other. So I graduated in 2008. I think you were right after that. So I graduated in the Great Recession. And then by 2009, when my student loan payments started coming due, the Great Recession had a name. And so having an MFA meant exactly zero other than being in debt.
0: (laughs) Except Um, a lot of money that you owe somebody.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it just really wasn't enough. To for academia, if you wanted a job in academia, which I thought I did at the time, or at least I thought I, I thought I wanted some postgraduate fellowships and so forth. So I knew immediately, like I was assistant manager of a coffee house. I was working maybe 15 to 20 hours a week and I got 10 meals and health insurance with that job. And I got unemployment through every winter because we closed every winter. I lived very rurally. So like basically a dream job. And then when the winter of 2008 into 2009 came, I had that lovely layoff and unemployment and then it ended, but my job didn't come back. And there we were in the great recession. So I knew I had to do something to set myself apart. Uh, And so I hit the road for at the time, what I thought would be two years and ended up being three years Um, boxed up most of my stuff including 17 boxes of books sold a lot of stuff just downsized I didn't own too much stuff anyway and then just took what I needed in my Volvo station wagon and hit the road and I went from artist residency to artist residency and it was really the experiences that I had at the first few artist residencies that enabled me to keep believing that the starving artist was like Complete BS. And not only was it BS, like I was going to live to prove it wrong. So, like, my first residency was at Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. And, like, I think my first night I sat down to dinner, and on my right was the president of the National Book Critics Circle. And on my left was like this New York Times bestselling memoirist who was lamenting the fact that she was late, you know, in her latest revision for her agent, you know, and here I am, like, fresh out of grad school, exactly zero published, um, writing these little lyric essays about my 20 something non-traumatic life, (laughs) reflecting from the vast distance of my thirties at that time, which, which meant very little, but, but I was treated as an equal. And I was, I was there fair and square, just like they were. And so that was amazing. Like there was, there wasn't really ego. We just like ate dinner, like, all writers eat dinner, even if they're New York Times bestsellers or presidents of the National Book Critics Circle. So that fueled me, and then um, I was writer in residence at Interlochen Center for the Arts. Close on the heels of that, and that gig, um, it paid. It gave me health insurance, meals, and housing, and it was over half a year long. And so I was able to save take care of my body, like, you know, get my teeth (laughs) x-rayed, eat good food at someone else's expense and um, focus on applying to lots more residencies. So I think just those two experiences really lifted me up. And I was surrounded by arts culture and arts positive mindsets that sort of fueled the way for what ended up being 31 out of 36 months on the road in which time I wrote my first book and garnered some residencies and like speaking and little guest lecture gigs here and there that I didn't know at the time but later sort of proved to be sort of selling points if you will when my business as a writing mentor gained a little more traction
0: so nice and I love everything you just said because it so speaks to the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people, the right mindset, all of this. I was hanging out in Portland at that time, mostly with other people with the starving artist mentality. And I'm like, nobody has any money. We're all struggling, what are you talking about? So such a different experience, just based on our environment. Now, Katie, since you've heard this show before, you know that there's a question that I ask all of my guests, and that is the acronym HERB. So let me just walk you through those various components. The H stands for habits. I would love to know what some of your either daily, weekly, monthly habits are that allow you to maintain that fulfilling lifestyle that we talked about. Sure, um, a lot of this, I'm skipping ahead a little bit to the R for
1: resources, but a lot of what I'm about to share is um, are things I've learned re- recently, meaning the last really two to four years in feminist business school, which are um, online and transformative classes by a company called Sister. And then also that I learned from a business consultant, Michelle Warner. So I just, I really need to say that and also from the What Works Network because some of what I'm gonna say really will be verbatim verbatim, some teachings that I learned from them. And some of it, now that I'm a few years into incorporating these mindset shifts, Some of it I've been able to make my own. Mm -hmm. Um, So to that end, I mean, certainly, just getting grounded in my body, so asking questions. One thing I learned from feminist business school was if you ask the question, you will get the answer. So just asking the question over and over, and I have spaces, on the, my walls and on different flat surfaces in my office where I'll write questions down. And sometimes I write the same question down like every day for two months um, until I get the answer. Or sometimes I just look at it and I get the answer, but I'm getting it out of my body to make space for the answer. Moving my body. So exercise is a huge, huge part of my life. Gazing at the clouds, like cloud gazing and tree gazing is a legit activity that I will clock in for. I use the Harvest app to, to, for to keep track of my time and pay myself for my hours in my business, and cloud gazing counts. Um, Dancing to Lady Gaga counts. (laughs) Playing a song on the piano that isn't really a song, it's just whatever notes come out counts. Like, I will clock in for it. Watering plants. So these are things that it's really important to do before the inbox, for sure. Also habits, especially during the summer months when I have pretty notable boundaries around my screen time and because I'm not actively teaching for four months of the year. So here's one like life hack habit that's really come in handy is to put in my email signature, something to the effect of, I check email on Mondays and Thursdays. Is that it? Period. Well, like in the summer months. But the thing is, if you put that in your email signature, you look like an idiot if you email on Tuesday, Wednesday or Friday. Right. You have to keep your so, own boundaries. <laughs> right. So, you know, that if I if I'm having a hard time keeping the boundaries that I know I need, like I can take it to that level. So those are those are just a few. Um,
0: That's awesome. Now, am I remembering correctly? Are you, You're into martial arts as well.
1: Yeah, I'm not currently training, but uh, yeah, I've had I've trained intensively twice in my life. Yeah, that's part of it for sure because you get to show up and someone else is in charge, which is like such a relief after being your own boss all day or part of the day. <laughs> that's the main thing. Um, and then Fitness Blender is just an incredible online resource of positive messaging and um, physically challenging workouts that I really enjoy. So yeah, those are those are some habits. Time tracking is a habit that I think is really, really important because I ran the first like eight or nine years of my business. Basically I was paying myself on a sliding scale. And as soon as I started time tracking and then also switched over to the profit first model, which I can't recommend
0: enough. I agree.
1: Yeah. I was like a no brainer. I was like, Oh my God. Like I know exactly what it costs me to do what, I know how long it takes to do what, and I know what I won't do for what. So that's a habit that I think is worth looking at, finding a system that works for people.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that you said that I just want to point out, because it's so relevant, is when you're talking about your work, you're talking about it as a business, which a lot of writers, they don't like business. They don't like capitalism, even though they have to do that to be able to survive. Can you talk a little bit about how that has either been something you've learned to do or that it's just come naturally?
1: Yeah, I thank you for noticing that. I had to learn it. And part of this came out of feminist business school. Part of this came out of my work with Michelle Warner and part came out of my work in the industry of literary publishing, which is completely unjust. And so in, you know, pitching my first novel, the first book was out and then in getting an agent, you know, and like sort of like flirting with the New York top five for my first novel and then falling short and not selling it and eventually finding another publisher. But like, that was a very, very, very hard experience. And like, I can take rejection. It's my first book was rejected over 40 times before it was published and then won awards. So like, it's not the rejection it's, it's the gatekeepers, it is being a female in a male-dominated industry and a female who happens to also be writing themed uh, realist fiction about a male-dominated experience of military and warfare. So it's just kind of a double whammy. So realizing like, okay, I am never going to get what I need from this industry. Mm-hmm. and I- no interest in becoming an activist to fight to change it so i'm just going to change my entrepreneurial approach and to f- to fashion a business that is actually actually makes a profit and is anti-capitalist at the same time so i did decide to gradually merge the hours i clock in writing and reading reading I pay myself to read, (laughs) to integrate that into my business model, um, which basically is designed around a 20-hour work week with four months off a year, and I pretty much never pay myself less than $100 an hour after taxes. So um, what that looks like is that when my novel came out, I was able to integrate all of... The expenses are all of the time it took me to promote it and work with my publicist all of the time. It took me to do events into my business model and to pay myself for that time. Despite the fact that I work in an industry that does not pay authors for that time. No. And then I, at present I'm able to pay myself for um, eight hours a week of writing. And then I think in time, you know, that number will just go up. That's my rule is that as my child gets older and he, for example, is in school all day instead of just like four hours a day, I don't get to add more. I don't like, I don't like make up more things to sell. I just have more time to write and paid hours writing.
0: I mean, yeah, that's awesome. That's
1: the integration. It's slow. I mean, it can't be 100%. It can't be overnight, but it's kind of slow
0: and steady. Sure. And I don't want to get too far away from the, the herb question, but I do want to ask you about this and it might just be semantics. I don't know. You said profitable, but anti-capitalist. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So I'm still learning and working with that, but that definitely is directly inspired from feminist business schools. So like we're still up, op- we're all operating in a capitalist society, but, but many of us know that that's unsustainable. So we're sort of in this time period where it's a bridge. So we have to we have to run our businesses and we do have bills to pay, but we're not like going to be in the rat race, so to speak. So what that looks like for me, and I, I'm just like baby steps, but one of the things that looks like is paying myself to write. Like that feels anti-capitalist because capitalism would say like, that you can't do that. Like you're not producing anything of value. You're not producing something that can be measured or immediately quantified when you're writing or reading. So you can't pay yourself for that. So I would say, well, yes, I can. And I'm doing it. Um, Or that I have, you know, like at present, 7% of my, the money that comes in is profit and what, what do I do with that profit? Will I invest in like um, anti-white supremacist organizations in the South? Or my operating expenses, for example, I make sure that I am spending money on FSC mixed paper, which um, honors the rights of indigenous people and sustainable forestry practices. So like baby steps, right? And we're talking about like one person and one tiny business, but I like to think that, that it is scalable. So those are just a few little examples. I do scholarships and stuff like that
0: too. But yeah, see, this is what's so this is what I love about bringing in all kinds of different voices to this show because everything that you just said, I'm like, yep, hundred percent agree with. And I would see myself as a capitalist, but with one specific word in there, conscious capitalism. To me, it's like hey, let's make a ton of money so that we can impact, like you said, you know, giving to these various organizations and doing awesome things and paying ourselves for our time, no matter what we're doing. (laughs) So I totally appreciate your thoughts on that. So let's go back to Herb. And we are at E. E stands for environment. If you could tell me a little bit about the environment that you create for yourself to be your best, what do you allow in or what do you not allow in?
1: Yeah. I wish I could show you my studio. You know, I allow lots of light and plants in, very little sound to the, to the dismay or struggle of my husband, even like something, you know, like a little news clip or something playing in the other room is like, we'll just like, I, I, I just cannot, I, I cannot have it. <laughs> you, I'm like but, Thankfully. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really have to create social media boundaries because I have a team that handles social media for me and mostly we're in the flow so i don't even have to like proof content or anything so i use it facebook is my people who already know me so i say things to those people there that i say differently on instagram where i'm going to find someone new but again my team really understands that so i don't have to deal with it if i didn't have them i would just completely withdraw and i and i actually will be withdrawing from facebook at some point i just don't have the mental energy for it right now At present, I let in very little current events, partly because I don't have much time and I'd rather read something else and partly because it doesn't really feed me right now. Totally. I, in the last year in my business environment, have completely unattached from Amazon. So while my household is still pretty dependent on Amazon... And I'm, I'm okay with that because I live really rural. So it's actually like a greater environmental impact for me to drive an hour to the city to get a pair of shoes for my kids than it is to have them delivered by the truck that's already delivering. Sure. But for my business, it's completely off of Amazon, which means every book I purchase is not purchased from there either. So that feels different. <laughs> yeah. Like when I walk into my office, there's a really, really powerful website called Threshold that I can't recommend enough because it makes that sort of change um, within reach. You can take it like in baby steps. Uh, Although their language is a little bit more like Amazon is evil, which I don't quite agree with, um, it does like sort of make it accessible. And it really wasn't that hard to get my business off Amazon. And now it's something that I'm proud that I can model, especially as an author because Amazon in particular for authors Actually, is evil. I will say that. <laughs> Not necessarily for some other products. So, other than that, I mean, I really just need to. Ha- I mean, I need to have a door to close.
0: That's mm-hmm. a big part of it. Virginia I mean, Wolf, you need a door with a lock on it. <laughs> a room of one's own. <laughs> yeah, that's a big part of it for sure. Awesome. So you've already mentioned loads of resources is there anything else though that either books programs whatever it may be that have really helped you develop your mindset or just your skill set in business or writing
1: yeah i did mention of so sister and michelle warner and profit first the harvest app um residencies in general and then what i'll say this is really the newest thing for me is At present, I'm experiencing like a really profound sense of depletion, psycho-spiritual depletion, energetic depletion, you name it. And to the point that like, like I know, I know different breathing exercises. I am Buddhist. I know all kinds of different approaches to meditation. Um, I have like an actual handbook of embodied business practices full of exercises that I can do. But I am at such a point of depletion just circumstantially that I don't even often have the energy to choose which tool to use. And so I have, for better or worse, um, recently found this app called the Fabulous App. And it won like App of the Year or something last year. It like tells me what to do. So it'll tell me. The breathing exercise. It'll give me a meditation exercise to pick. It'll like remind me to take a power knob and play like the pentatonic scale with like chirping crickets in the background. I don't I don't like being that dependent on a device, but what I don't like even more is being so depleted that I can't even choose the right choices for myself. So that app is really, really helping me. Um, And then I got myself my first ever um, smartwatch. It's a Fitbit Versa Lite. And I don't call it that. I call it my wellness watch. (laughs) Yeah. I expressly do not use it for GPS or notifications or an agenda or a calendar. I never will. I have alarms that go off it just vibrates and what those alarms do for me is they remind me to do a breathing exercise or a meditation exercise or to look at the trees like period that's what the alarms are for so my wellness watch is helping me do that because I don't have the energy to
0: remember to do it right now. yeah but what a gift that we have technology even for simple things like that like hey take a breath Hey, stand up and move, you know, all of these things. So that, that's an awesome resource, which brings us right to the end of herb. The B stands for beliefs. And I would love, I'm very interested from you, what are some of your core beliefs that really just allow you to continue to do the work that you do, to stand up for causes in the world and everything that you stand for? What are some of those core beliefs?
1: One is, um, has been said many, many times before in different ways by a lot of people. I particularly like the way Adrienne Marie Brown says it in her book, Emergent Strategy, but in mantra form, what I say is what you pay attention to grows. Yes. And then, uh, here's a few, few others. Slow is the new fast. Rest supports revelation imagination is paramount to the survival of our species to create is to care and innovation should heal not harm so those are on my wall as the guiding principles or mantras of my business but as i know you know with the lucrative society it's all you know when we're really thriving it's business art life how we love how we live, they all intermash. That's so true. And one sort of thing I like to keep in check in terms of a business belief is that whatever I'm doing, it's got to be sustainable. But sometimes we don't know what sustainable is until we find out that we've done something unsustainable.
0: <laughs> that was my experience, yes.
1: Oh, gosh. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> So, one sort of guiding thing that I learned from the What Works Network was if you're going to build a system, build a system that requires 20% of your effort. Only ever. Yeah. Ever 20%. Because, first of all, you're going to misjudge. And then, second of all, why would you require more? You've got other things to do.
0: Exactly. If only I knew that 15 years ago. (laughs) So, Katie, this has been. Awesome. First off, it's great to reconnect with you. And secondly, I love bringing, like I said, different voices, different experiences, different experts to the table to say, look, here's what we're talking about. How do we create these lucrative lifestyles that are fulfilling and abundant and prosperous and all of this. So if our listener is interested in learning more about you or buying your books, where would you like to send them?
1: I think just going to my website is a good place to start. And there will be a little pop-up there (laughs) that invites you to um, get a free PDF and join my list. And I send about one message a month after the welcome series. So I really focus on valuable content and authentic messages. That is katieschultz.com, K-A-T-E-Y schultz.com. So books can be purchased there or anywhere books are sold. Really the newsletter there I think is going to be most beneficial for entre- entrepreneurs or for creatives alike because um, one thing I will say in my overlaps with other small business owners, there aren't that many writers in these circles because of what exactly what you pointed out. Like the writers aren't always thinking that writing can mesh with business. But I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who are intimidated by writing or what they'll just call it copywriting or messaging or content. So I found that uh, other small business owners enjoy my newsletter just because they can see an example of how to sell something and make it personal at the same time.
0: I love that. So I will add a link to that in the show notes so that everybody can get over to katyscheltz.com. And Katie, just thank you to you. I so appreciate your time. I so appreciate you just showing up authentically as you always do. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes and please leave a review of the podcast. Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources or to become a member of The Lucrative Society where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.